Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to the Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Adam Pranica. Cheers, Adam. I'm Ben Harrison. Yeah, that sounded nice. Are you, are you drinking out of a crystal goblet? Uh, I'm actually drinking out of a brandy snifter because I'm drinking some brandy. Look at you. Yeah. My, uh, Very Michael Caine of you. My wife got me a belated holiday present in a uh, bottle of uh, St. George apple brandy. It's one of my favorite spirits on the planet. St. George apple brandy. Yeah, it's so good. It's like biting into an apple if it was boozy instead of sweet. Oh, well now you're speaking my language. That sounds great. You just drink it out of a snifter. That's the that's the only prep you have to do. Just take it to the dome. Yeah, no prep at all. You just yeah, snifter or similar, and uh, <laughs> it's it's fucking delicious, man. Wow. Uh, I'm drinking this because we uh, we had a uh, we had a dice roll on our last episode that determined that uh, this was a Quark's Bar episode, but uh, due to some. Uh, unforeseen sobriety conflicts that you have (laughs) you're not going to be joining me on this journey of drunkenness it's so weird how that cuts both ways right like a sobriety conflict should be uh something to celebrate Uh i'm excited for this this is gonna be fun i'm just gonna take comfort in the fact that i have a uh, a weapon to bludgeon you with at some point in the future, I will be able to make you have a drunk episode, whether you like it or not. It's installing a bit of stress and conflict back into the show that we haven't had since the vetoes. <laughs> I like it. I'm, I'm all for it. Yeah. I'm all for that level of stress and conflict, you know? Bring it on. Kind of a throwback. Uh, ben, I'm drinking, uh, I mean, I'm not drinking to get drunk, because I told you before I cannot... But I'm drinking some of this Bozal Mezcal. Yeah. Really, really good. That's the Tobayish, right? Yeah. That stuff is yeah. great. This stuff might be uh, rocketing to the top of my list. Wow. Is it going to uh, displace Casamigos? The price point of Casamigos makes it uh, really hard to resist. Yeah. Like, that's an easy choice. What is that, about a $75 bottle? Yeah, I think I got it for less at the uh, at the spirit shop, uh, not far away from me. But the Bozal is it's is a, sp- a little it's a bigger step up. It's a spendy bottle, yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, you can taste the spend, that's for <laughs> sure. <laughs> that's such a, you know what, like God, how often, like liquor is such an interesting thing that way and that like if you take a shot at a bottle that you've heard is good and then you don't like it that's a real bummer mm-hmm. i've got a couple of those bottles but uh it's what makes yeah if you it, get it's the, what makes it so great to to hit one it's like hearing it a out. single off of an album and then buying that album and then the rest of the album is nothing like the single and you don't like it you know it's the genuine pony album of problems <laughs> <laughs> yeah remember how disappointed you were in the rest of that album i sure was you know i never got that one i was uh 
I felt like my cup runneth over with pony the year that it came out and it played nonstop on the radio and at every school dance I attended. Why did they ever let pony get played at a school dance? Yeah. It isn't even suggestive. It is explicit. I went to very permissive, progressive <laughs> schools, you know. You went to sex high school? <laughs> and I failed. I failed miserably. <laughs> you know, I'm looking here at your grades, Benjamin, and uh, sounds like those aren't the only things you're having a hard time keeping up. <laughs> you're, saying, you're saying I was, uh, I was impotent? In high school, I had I had a bad case of ED when I was when I was seventeen. I, I mean, I was just doing a little scene. I I didn't really have any more backstory than that. <laughs> okay. Mm. Uh, well, I, I'm only having one glass of this because it's special, and then I'm going to switch back to the uh, to the mezcal I was drinking before. Yeah. Just some uh, El Silencio Espadine mezcal. Oh, that's good stuff. That's good stuff. It's a it's a nice easy drinker. The thing that's clear, Ben, is that uh, the choices have been made this episode. This is a Quarks Bar episode for you. It is not for me. I'd say I'd say we've both, in a way, made bad choices this episode. <laughs> uh, we've we have cast our own die, <laughs> our own dies. Really, uh, we know what this episode's going to be for us personally. But what will it mean for the characters of Deep Space Nine? What do you say we get into it, Ben? It's it's the second in our two-parter, uh, even though it does not say Improbable Cause Part 2. It's Season 3, Episode 21 of Deep Space Nine. The die is cast. Do you realize how incredible this is? <laughs> no. Of course you don't. And uh, we open like we opened in the, in the first part of this two-parter. We're back at Emil, this time... Bashir has gone with his plan B. It's not Garrick, it's O'Brien. I am Chief Miles Edward O'Brien. This is fucking spectacular. I love the choice that Colin Meany makes of uh, tucking the napkin into his uniform like a bib. <laughs> it's a real, like, 50s dad at the dinner table kind of vibe. Just uh, just totally focused on his food, because why, why talk? The thing we know about O'Brien up to now is that he doesn't like plated fancy meals with dignitaries. What my theory presupposes is maybe <laughs> O'Brien likes eating alone and only alone. He doesn't like eating with Keiko because he doesn't like her food. Yeah. He doesn't like going to state dinners. He doesn't like eating with Bashir. He's a, he's an alone eater. I think that's fine. I'm down fine. with that. Yeah. I went to a hamburger restaurant yesterday and you know ordered myself a burger and sat there by myself and ate it and enjoyed it the way a burger should be enjoyed alone yeah staring out in the middle distance just focus on all those ingredients and trying to keep the sandwich together in my hand is this a burger you would throw out there to our greater viewership as a as a good burger uh yeah or do you not want to ruin it for yourself by by telling our tens and tens of thousands of listeners. I, I wouldn't want the secret about five guys to get out. <laughs> you know what the secret about five guys is, Ben? It's a it's a secret that you and I learned about on our way to Max Von Con East. The secret to five guys, burgers and fries, is the hot dog. Yeah, the hot dog is banging. That is a dope dog. Yeah. 
You can't get it when you're by yourself, though. You got to split that dog. Hot dog for the table. I went to Shake Shack with my father not too long ago, and they have a Chicago dog on the menu there. Oh, really? And he ordered that not familiar with the premise of Chicago dog, and he's like, what's all this crap on my hot dog? Oh, no. Yeah. I encouraged him, and he, and he, he, he uh, went ahead with it and, and enjoyed it greatly. But That's such a strange thing to have happened. The like Ordinarily, I think you're one of the more adventurous eater friends that I have in my life. Like You are often drawn to the strange and interesting on a menu in a way that I really enjoy. But like I would never expect anyone to not know what a Chicago dog was before ordering one. What a strange predicament. Yeah, I mean, I think... It's also strange just because, like, my dad is, like, my dad was born in the 40s. Like, he's been around a long time. He's traveled. Yeah, he's a, he's a, a pretty cosmopolitan dude. I get, you know, like, I think what it is is that there's, like, a taxonomy of food terms that is pretty overwhelming if you don't kind of make it your business to be interested in them. That's fair. And I think people of our parents' generation are often, like, far, far less adventurous eating wise yeah than than we would hope yeah and uh i think he is an adventurous eater but just hasn't not that uh, a chicago dog qualifies certainly no but but just like there being meaningful distinctions that people argue about on the internet over is not something that's a part of my dad's life you know like yeah he's never heard anybody pose the the hypothetical is a hot dog a sandwich and wouldn't care to follow up on that even if he did well we are very alike in that way (laughs) oh shit are you throwing shade at our network mate john hodgman i would never throw shade at hodgman i just don't care to adjudicate that question yeah you're glad somebody's out there doing it it's just not you Absolutely. Like getting a medical degree for me. Like I it's ter- it's a terrifying idea to even think about having the power of life and death. But I'm glad somebody takes that responsibility on. I think you have a little more power of life and death than you even realize day to day, Ben. What I like about this scene is that it seems like <laughs> Bashir is not privy at all to all of the momentous shit that is going on around him. What do you want me to say? He's not picking up on these nonverbal cues that O'Brien is screaming at him. <laughs> like all of the troop movement and stuff and the fact that Odo and Garrick are still missing is a big deal and Bashir is sitting there yelling at O'Brien about contemporary theater in a way that was like fun to hear, fun world building, like the idea that human playwrights are kind of obsessed with Uh, ripping off alien play premises rather than delving into the human experience at this time in history, which I really like. I like knowing that. Yeah. But uh, O'Brien is kind of like, hey, listen, let's either eat or talk about some actual shit. My mother taught me, if you try to combine talking and eating, you'll end up doing neither very well. This conversation is Deep Space Nine's version of the string concerto in 10 forward though like (laughs) so often star trek turns its attention towards how drama nerdy the writer's room is with these references yeah and so sometimes these can clang i don't think this is an instance of that but i think this is a an adjacent example of that Bashir asks o'brien about what's up with garrick and odo and o'brien says that uh, in addition to a cardassian cruiser 
the starship Portland has been dispatched to look for them. Mm. What do you think the starship Portland is like? I mean, I think it's got a bird on it, Ben. <laughs> you think when they uh, when they send down an away team, they beam them down with fixed gear bikes? <sighs> do you want to do some hack Portland bits with me? All I do is bits, bits, bits. No matter what, you're always doing bits, bits, bits. No matter what, you're always doing bits, bits, bits. I was doing bits. Bad bit moment. Bad bit moment. Yeah, they uh, they keep their phasers not in holsters, but in sleeve garters. All I do is bits, bits, bits. No matter what. They pull their spaceship into into the space dock for a resupply of dilithium, and they just sit there waiting for somebody to come out because they're not used to pumping their own gas. All I do is bits, bits, bits. No matter what. You know, I'm having a hard time uh, making fun of our friends in Portland. They've really done us right the last few times we've done shows there. Yeah, but they have a good sense of humor about themselves. I mean, when we did a live show, in our most recent live show in Portland, we spent a solid 10 minutes just doing, like, Land's End and L.L. Bean material, so... You know what? I want to give a free plug to my friend Jace in Portland, who by this time has opened up his first brick-and-mortar restaurant for Fried Egg I'm In Love. Oh, yeah. And the only reason I say that is because Portland better make sure that it's a successful opening. Fried Egg I'm In Love makes a great sandwich and uh, an and even greater, perhaps, breakfast burrito. Yeah. If you're anywhere near the Portland area, highly recommended. It's on Hawthorne. It will be open by now. If you're a friend of DeSoto, you got to support Fried Egg I'm In Love if, if you're in Portland. Golden Cotton. The cut. Golden Cotton. So. They get called up to... Ops, or I guess O'Brien does, and uh, they're like, this is uh, Cisco, O'Brien, Dax, and Kira just watching as the entire sector fills up with cloaked ships, and then they start decloaking, and it's Romulans and Cardassians. This is the uh, the invasion fleet that uh, an Abrantane is at the helm of and the station is pretty surprised and freaked out by this (laughs) this is kind of a lot of pretty hostile looking dudes to walk into your neighborhood you know a couple of things about this scene that stuck out to me one is that it is incredibly difficult for any scene in deep space nine as a non-hd piece of television to blow me away visually yeah but when this fleet decloaks around the station it is beautiful and awesome and the scale of it is amazing for a show that is not widescreen aspect ratioed like it yeah looks it looks cinematic in a great way yeah the way they uh they put the perspective from below the equator of the station so the yeah. ships coming in look huge and like looming over it yeah it's a it's a ton of fun, and it's probably as many ships as we see on the screen ever in Trek, you know? Statistically, the Battle of the Omaria Nebula that happens later on in this episode is the biggest battle ever depicted in Star Trek up to this point. Wow. No kidding. Ben, the other thing this scene evoked for me was that scene in Jurassic Park. When Dr. Grant's in the field in the beginning, when he first hits the island... Uh-huh. And they see that that group of running dinosaurs yeah. running around the field. Are, are those metasauruses? 
and it looks like they're in danger for a moment, but instead the dinosaurs are just like zooming past them. Yeah. That's the feeling here. Like everyone thinks that the that this fleet is a threat to Deep Space Nine, but they just zoom past them and go for the wormhole. Were you with me then when the uh, when the coyotes ran down the street? I was with you. That was nuts. Yeah, we were like a block from my house in in Los Angeles, and two coyotes just ran like breakneck speed down the street in a way that was like if they had decided that they wanted to fuck with us, we would have been in big trouble. And it's that feeling of danger that is just like in your presence suddenly and then gone because it's not yeah. interested in you. Yeah, so like a pack of coyotes, this fleet of Romulan and Cardassian ships heads for the hole and they go in. <laughs> they go right into that hole. On board the lead ship, Enabron. 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 Ankylosaur. Enabron Tain is, is on the lead ship. And he's with Garrick enjoying the orange drink of rehiring an old employee. <laughs> yeah. It's a little runny, right? It's got a little bit more texture than I think seems good. It's a little bit of a Julius, it looks like. Yeah. In a gross way. <laughs> because Julius is delicious, right? Uh. <laughs> no? I like him. I don't know if I've ever had a Julius, actually. Whoa. I haven't spent that much time in malls, Adam. Do they have an Orange Julius at the Americana brand? <laughs> Probably give you an Orange Julius in a glass there. That's how nice it would be. So Garrick and Tane have a pretty long hang here. One of the things they talk about is Mila, Tane's uh, lady assistant who we met on FaceTime in the last episode, Tane is like, yeah, she probably needs to get killed. Mila may not be around much longer. Because his plan is not to return to obscurity. His, he is making a play for returning to his job as the chief spy of Cardassia. He's going to start this war and then install himself in, uh, in the Cardassian system again. Some is made of this, but I wish more was made of the idea that Tane through his great leadership here, is going to be the man henceforth. But I think what undercuts that is that the Romulans don't give him any fucking respect at all. Yeah. We meet Colonel Lovak, who is uh, played by Leland Orser, who uh, eagle-eyed viewers might remember from having that knife dick in Seven. (laughs) (laughs) He's a great Romulan. Yeah, he is. Who, who are we going to cast for this Romulan? Let's just spitball some ideas, guys. Like, no wrong answers. The intern is like, uh, I could call the knife dick guy. He's actually my roommate. <laughs> I like him uh, as a Romulan, though. It's a very, he makes a very, a bunch of very, like, specific decisions about how this character is going to play. He reminds me of the Romulan from Star Trek Six. Sure. Real big eyes, very squirrely looking. Yeah. Uh, a little a little slight. He's nothing like the Romulan from Star Trek V. No, that one's different. He doesn't have the giant hook hair. <laughs> Indeed. Odo has been squirreled away into his quarters, which have been brigified through yeah. the use of some uh, force fields. And Lovak has banned Garrick from any and all sensitive areas of the ship. Kind of insulting if you're a newly 
hired and promoted Garrick. Yeah, but also understandable that people wouldn't want you anywhere near the sensitive stuff. This scene introduces that power dynamic between Lovak and Tane, though, in that it never totally feels like Tane has free reign here. Yeah, yeah, because you can can kind of extrapolate that some of the same rules might apply to Tane. Yeah. So Tane gives Garrick his first job, which is to go betray Odo. It's kind of like the undercover cop being given a rail of coke and saying, you're going to do it, right? Yeah. You know, and he has to do it to prove that he's he's not a cop. I, I thought this was an interesting moment because watching it, I was like, Garrick could be intentionally playing Tane right now. And this is a scene of Tane testing that. Uh, by saying like go betray the guy you showed up with so that I can I know that I can trust you it's a test that also involves Garrick having to make the choice between interrogating his friend himself or letting someone else do it yeah and he at least has the good sense to to control the situation right to the degree that he can and what they want is for him to get Odo to kind of spill his guts about the founders and I guess the theory is that Odo knows something else that they can use against the Founders, and their mission is to go blow up the Founders' planet. Right. This is a a Death Star task force. Yeah, kind of a pregnant moment here. What's Garrick going to do? Hard to tell at this point. What is Deep Space Nine going to do is maybe a bigger question, because you would imagine there is a full-fledged freakout happening, because the station is not going to be able to put up much of a fight against a fleet of combined... Romulan and Cardassian ships, so they blow in a FaceTime to one Admiral Todman. I never hoped for war, Major. <laughs> who appears to be working out of Chris Brenner's apartment. That Chris Brenner. <laughs> they get to watch an Abrantain who's recorded like a a bit of a hostage video. Yeah. Like it's basically saying like to the Cardassian Central Command, you're now at war whether you like it or not. You better start acting like it. And uh, I guess Starfleet Intelligence has intercepted this classified transmission and uh, and so in the wardroom we get like the McLaughlin group issue 1 of the entire senior staff including Commander Eddington uh, watching this video and then talking to Admiral Todman about the implications of it. It's really kind of a Dr. Strangelove-type mission, isn't it? Tane's whole idea is that once he starts war, everyone will be compelled to continue and attempt to win war. Yeah. The stated goal of this task force is to go commit genocide, and at no point in this conversation is Starfleet talking about, like, even if we don't necessarily like the people that are getting genocided? Maybe we should prevent genocide. Maybe it's just that Admiral Tadman knows how difficult it is to prevent genocide. I mean, look at the man. He looks quite a bit like me. He's got a, a sun-drenched office space, much like my house in Malibu. And uh, <laughs> genocide stops seeming like such a bad thing when you get to a certain age. In my experience, genocide is fairly easy to do. It's the prevention of genocide that uh, the Hushnak had a very difficult time with. <laughs> Just ask the Hushnak if you can find any. I doubt you can. I'm going to let you in on a secret. I, I was angry with the Hushnak, but it happened when I stubbed my toe really badly. <laughs> the Hushnak got genocided by accident. That's how easy it is. I filled in all that stuff about them killing my wife 
after the fact to make it seem like it was kind of justified from an emotional point of view, but really, I could have taken her leaving her. I mean, she was fine. <laughs> Rishan wasn't perfect. She would go on and on about how much she wanted a clarified tub. <laughs> the very tub that I stubbed my toe on, causing the <laughs> genocide of the Hushnak. <laughs> Why did we bring this cast iron monstrosity from a bygone era into our house. I may be an all-powerful being, but even a doubt can see the comfort of a tepid pool of murky water. <laughs> Anyways, I canceled our subscription to HGTV right after that because it's just giving us terrible ideas about home decor. If I wanted to, I could make our home the cover of Dwell every single month from here to eternity. <laughs> what I should have done is eliminated all property brothers everywhere. <laughs> I mean, how many of them are there? I'm all-knowing, and I don't know. I lose track. They all look the same to me. That's not a racism thing. They're just identical <laughs> twins. Admiral Todman rocking Operations Gold as a flag officer. Have we seen that before? I thought that was really cool looking. I like the look. Good and look, it, and it's a and it's the starship look, right? The the yeah. black mantle and the and the yellow shirt. You're right about Todman slash Starfleet's position that they're gonna let this play out, which is a little weird. Not only that, like Todman's advice is fucking insane at this point. He's like, look. We're going to send you nine starships tomorrow. But in the meantime, we want you to evacuate the station and then just set up the little D outside, like, ready. Like, gas yeah. her up and think- get her ready to take on an armada of either a combination strike force of Romulan and Cardassian ships or a wasp's nest of ticks, <laughs> like, newly angered and out for blood. Yeah. And I mean, like, it's not even really nine starships. It's eight starships and the Portland. (laughs) You know, the Portland's going to show up late. They're going to show up late. They're going to like they're going to have like a hacky sack. You know, there's going to be some discussion of whether or not the uh, the MREs they've been issued for this battle are gluten free. Hey, Admiral Todman. Uh, did you know that Deep Space Nine can move? <laughs> I would suggest moving Deep Space Nine behind Bajor. But the but they but their priority is to protect Bajor. That's like putting the hostage in between you and the bad guy. I know what I'm recommending. Shoot the hostage. What? <laughs> Maybe they just turn on the engines to Deep Space Nine and they just let her go. Just uh, fly off into the wild blue yonder. Yeah, nine starships due tomorrow. Cisco has other plans, though. Cisco sees this as a window of opportunity to save Odo. No sooner have they hung up than he is uh, arranging for a rescue mission. And uh, Eddington is a little bit surprised by this. He's like, But uh, yeah, they uh, they fire up the little D and uh, and they head into the wormhole. There was very like lurid camera work. Uh, the Defiant pulling out of space dock and heading to the wormhole. Like they really made that a hero moment for the ship, which we haven't seen since it was introduced to us. I think. 
I wonder if some of that isn't informed by the need to pace this episode a little differently. Uh, I had read that the part one episode was supposed to be the only part of this story. Whoa. And when they finished writing it, they were so unsatisfied with its ending that they decided to retroactively bolt another episode to it. And so they actually shot these episodes out of order. They shot Improbable Cause and then Through the Looking Glass and then Die is Cast. Wow. Because they came back to the story and decided to give it a more fitting conclusion. And so I'm wondering, in the exact opposite of the whole five pounds of Star Trek in a one pound bag, like if they had too much bag here and they and they filled it instead with a bunch of sequences like the Little D pulling out. It also... I think is very effective to kind of draw a bright line under this being a special episode. Like this really feels like an inflection point in the series. I I really love how they're putting more weight into exterior shots and ship to ship stuff. Like this is what we've been wanting for three seasons. The Defiant is a character in this episode in in a way that it has been kind of a utility in previous episodes. If you like the episode, you're going to gloss over the part where Cisco asks for volunteers for this mission, knowing that anyone who volunteers would be risking court-martial. My question for you is, like, why would anyone do this for Odo, who is not Kira, for example? Like, <laughs> why, why, why is there any other staff on the ship? I mean, Garrick mentioned it earlier, Odo doesn't outwardly care about anyone. And so there's this asymmetry to the relationship here that is very glossed over, and yet everyone is in. Like, it is all for one and one for all, Well, kind of in a way that is not believable to me. Maybe if they maintain plausible deniability for everybody else on the ship, but the people that were in that room. You know what I really liked, Ben? Hmm. It's the return of the captain's thermos. Did you see it? Oh, fuck. Is it in there? Yeah, it really is. I think I think it's going to be a going concern. Man. Captain needs a soup for the trip. I have a thermos just like that. I wish I was drinking my booze out of it today. Captain's thermos. Just uh, for those keeping track at home, I've finished my brandy and I'm now into my second mezcal. Really sounding like you're holding it together. Good job. Oh, thank you. <laughs> uh, I love Cisco for this choice, though. He is defying orders to go try to prevent something pretty catastrophic and uh they uh head into gamma quadrant and throw the cloak on and pursue this evil task force it's pretty kirky right i don't think you'd see picard more than 50 percent of the time pulling a stunt like this yeah this is a a very kirky move that's a great point uh back on the romulan ship they're discussing the plan for bombarding the founder's homeworld and it's uh Pretty scary plan. I say we take off and nuke the entire site from orbit. It's the only way to be sure. No, that should more than take care of the founders. It's literally just just shoot for hours and hours at this planet until it is totally blown away. They really get geologic with their description of the damage. If they had only seen the founders' homeworld ahead of time, they would know that they could just lob a giant meteor into the lake <laughs> yeah. and then like it would just empty the lake with that giant splash right right it, it would atomize the uh, the founders yeah. so the issue of garrick interrogating odo has not been totally settled because tane recommends that garrick use a new device that the obsidian order has cooked up 
and he suggests that he brings that into Odo's quarters and turn it on. I love Lovak in this moment because he's like, I was not informed about this device. It's only a prototype. I think he's going to be underwhelmed when he sees it. He, it looks like a Coleman camp lantern. <laughs> yeah, so there's a little bit of a skirmish about that. Not enough to prevent the interrogation from happening later. Uh, back on the little D, they've got the cloaking device up, but not for long because uh, Eddington is framed guiltily as the cloak is cocked up. And uh, it turns out he sabotaged the cloak under Todman's orders. I sabotaged it. They went on this very long odds mission with a crew that couldn't be trusted implicitly like this. The idea that he was behind this happening is is very upsetting. And it's a real magic trick that they figured out a way to keep Eddington on the bridge for the rest of the episode. I guess it is magical, but I really hated Cisco for this. Like, Cisco suddenly prescribing to a code he hasn't mentioned before about always trusting Starfleet people at their word. I mean, Cisco, you remember Cal Hudson, right? <laughs> you remember that guy? Real low communicator. <laughs> You remember that you only stopped trusting him once he took off the uniform? Do you think that was part of the reason that he took it off to begin with? Whoa. Really makes you think. <laughs> not a good look for Cisco, I don't think. I guess not. I mean, he is in an awkward position where Eddington doesn't really report to him. Like, Eddington's commanding officer is Todman. And I guess they are all doing a court martialable offense at the time. Yeah. Like who's who's the most wrong here? Is Eddington just as court-martialable still? I mean, I would guess not if he's doing things for Todman yeah. at the time. But wouldn't he just, like, sabotage the ability of the ship to leave space dock if that was the case? It's like, uh, it's moral equivalency, isn't it? Yeah. It just, it feels like he's spoiled from here on out, and he's he's been burked. You know? Right. This is an emotional moment for all of us, okay? Like, how can he ever be redeemed? Let's not make snap judgments, please. I don't think you can trust him as a character, and I hope we aren't made to at any point. Yeah, but th also, I would cite Quirk as an example of yeah. a character that we should never trust or like after this, and somehow this show just kind of resets him a bunch of times. There's something so much more insidious about a guy doing a thing because he's in a uniform versus Quark, who is just acting in his nature because that's how he is. Yeah. You know, yeah. there's, I guess the difference between the two is I think one is making a choice and one, one isn't. One is just being. Right. One is the scorpion on the frog's back. Yeah. To be quite honest about it, that was in a pail. Mr. Bucket, I have to revert back to my living state. So we cross-cut back to the Romulan ship, and Garrick set up both a bucket and a torture device and a kind of goodwill hunting <laughs> spread of things, right? I gotta go with the belt there, Van. And this camping lantern uh, has a pretty special power, Ben. It's gonna lock Odo in his human form, and that's a real problem because, as we know about Odo at this point in time, uh, he needs to turn himself into liquid at a regular interval, otherwise uh, bad things. Yeah, and uh, and he gets pretty rotten when he gets interrogated here. I mean, it's like layers of latex spray-painted to look like Odo, like dripping off of his uniform and face and stuff. It is really 
fucking devastating. Uh, there's a visual language here too, Ben, in that like Garrick is always canted downward at Odo, like always framed above the center line while Odo is always looking like the world is tilted against him. Some good compositions here telling a deeper story. Yeah. It's not really clear what information Garrick is after. It's not specific, but, you know, he needs to prove to Tain that he is a fully committed member of the Obsidian Order in good standing. And uh, if he can get Odo to divulge some critical secret that will help them eliminate the founders, all the better. But the secret that he gets to with Odo is that Odo really wants to return to his people and join the Great Link. They're my people, and I want to be with them. I think it really messes with your expectations because I was expecting Garrick to, in telling Odo, just tell me anything, man. Like, he's all, he's kind of working across purposes here during the interrogation. He's like, you don't have to give me any of the dirtiest dirt, but, like, give me something to take to Tain. And it doesn't even matter. And Odo takes it as gospel. Like, he actually gives him a deep, dark secret. Yeah, but it's also... This scene makes it clear that Garrick actually does want to be in the Obsidian Order. He's not playing Tane. Like, yeah. like he's not doing the rail of coke to prove he's not a cop when he's still actually a cop. He's not a cop. He has joined the bad guys. But Garrick does tell Odo, even if it's a lie, just tell me something so I can make it stop. Like, right. It muddies his intentions in a really interesting way right. for me. He has joined the bad guys, but he also doesn't really wish ill of Odo. And when he turns it off, he's clearly very upset. Right, right. So the cloaking device on the Defiant is busted. They've given Chief O'Brien a couple hours to repair it, and he's finally done it. He, he even gives like a burnt out component to Eddington. Souvenir of your handiwork. Which I really liked. It's a real fuck you. Yeah. O'Brien doesn't get a ton to do in this episode or the last one, but what he does get is efficiently played. I totally agree. I mean, the amount of like down for the causeness coming out <laughs> of that man is is really impressive. Ben, the aerial bombardment commences on the founder's homeworld, and it is pretty rugged looking yeah it's a it is a lot of torpedoes and phasers hitting the surface it's kind of what i've always wanted to see in star trek like what would it be like if an entire fleet just shot at a planet yeah like it's an itch that star wars was very eager to scratch and scratch again yeah and uh it's interesting to kind of get a point of comparison here and it's definitely going to take a while, but it does seem like these ships are going to be able to obliterate this planet. Uh, but as they're shooting it, they start to get a weird kind of contradiction in their readings because they've scanned the surface and they've found there to be lots of tiny little life forms down there. And then they like blow up a large percentage of the surface and they scan again and they're like the same number of yeah. tiny little life forms. What? They're stopping in this puddle, but none of the liquid's coming out. And this is the point in the episode where, like, it's a real inflection point uh, energy-wise because from here, it's fairly breakneck to the end of the episode because yeah. as soon as they realize that they've been conned, like, 150 Jem'Hadar ticks show up. It was a rat fuck, Adam. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, and so uh, thus commences the Battle of the Omarian Nebula, and the fight does not go well, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> this is an Admiral Hansen level fuck up here. Yeah, and Tane kind of has Hansen-y vibes the way he the way he uh, runs the show here. He sure does, right? The hubris of Hansen. It is alive and well in Anabrantane, <laughs> the flagship that there that uh, Garrick and Odo and and Tane and Lovak are on is uh, is getting pretty badly shredded. Lovak has to leave the bridge to go work with the fellows in engineering, and Tane takes over at Khan. That's when <laughs> Garrick uh, takes his leave of the bridge to go uh, to go like break out with Odo. Do you think Lovak uh, radioed engineering and the engineer there was, you better get down here. <laughs> and then Lovak reenacts uh, the end of Wrath of Khan there, totally off camera. <laughs> the, and, and Leland Orser is so committed to, yeah. to that that he actually brandoed, even though he wasn't, even, they weren't even shooting it. Very brave performance, Ben. <laughs> you know what? He gave TV more than TV deserved. He really did. Garrick springs Odo from his quarters using a Kirk chop to uh, one of the guards' backs, which I thought was a fun moment. Like, shit is flying apart. Like, bangers being dropped at a pretty shocking pace. And How many bangers get dropped? Like, how apart does the ship need to be flown to stand at that post and keep guarding that door? (sighs) That's a great question. Like, that guard is really committed to the idea. (laughs) He really is. A Kirk chap can be fairly convincing. It sure can, and and this guy gets two of them. He gets one to the lower back and one to the head, and uh, Garrick is getting ready to break Odo out when Lovak shows up and uh, gives them a computer device that is going to, like, let them actually escape on the runabout. They're like, what the hell? Why are you helping us? You are one of the founders. Of course. He's been playing all sides. They knew about this from Jump. And this was actually Tane's idea, right? And the and the founders liked the idea of using like the ultra vigilant natures of both the Romulans and the Cardassians against them. Like draw them into the Gamma Quadrant, make them think that they have struck some decisive blow and then use it to to wipe them out, take out both the Tal Shiar and the Obsidian Order at the same time. It's like war Aikido, right? Yeah, pretty fun. And uh, and they basically give do the math on it in the scene. Like they say, like, the, the only two real factors in the Alpha Quadrant, once this is complete, will be Starfleet and the Klingons. So good luck, assholes. What a scandal for Tane right now (laughs) he's a real bozo (laughs) like you get a scene after this where like garrick's got to go rescue tane from the bridge but tane fucking stays true to the mission true to his nature he never you never get that rack into his face when he's like oh shit i'm fucked oh no what have i done he, he doesn't have the bridge over the river Kwai. What have I done? He maintains his confidence to the bitter end. Yeah. Like a, a mistake in his world is not the end. It's just new information that can be incorporated in continuing to win. In a real fun way, he kind of doffs his cap to the founders like, 
God damn it, like, not a great look for me, but man, well played. I love the camera work in this scene because they go to crazy wide angle lenses mm-hmm. very close to the actors' faces. And, you know, Garrick is just like begging Tane to snap out of it and come with him. I can't just leave you here! Garrick's gone full pursue in his dialogue here, right? <laughs> yeah. And Tane is like is like locked in. He's he's so focused on just like puzzling through the math of how he got tricked that he he can't be he can't be persuaded and eventually Odo has to just come like dick <laughs> Garrick and knock him out and and like fireman carry him out of there. Yeah, I mean Odo could have just absorbed him. <laughs> we talk about this all the time like Odo could become the exoskeleton for someone else. Oh yeah. So Garrick and Odo get to the runabout and make for the wormhole and in the process they are just getting thumped because it's mentioned once and then not really mentioned again, but there are hundreds of ticks out there. I think 150 to the yeah. 20 ships that the Cardassians and Romulans brought. I kind of wished that they didn't give a number here because it seems incredibly unlikely that the runabout would make it as far as it did. Yeah. If I was going to give a rewrite to this episode, I thought for sure as the bangers were getting rained down on the runabout that Odo would hail one of them and go, uh, hey, founder, founder here. over here. Yeah. I thought for sure that would happen. Because the Jem Hadar are shooting at them not knowing who's aboard. Right. That was the move, right? It needed to be in there. It, it's a mistake that it's not, because yeah. the Jem'Hadar would never shoot at a ship if there was any suggestion that there might be a founder. And It was less satisfying that the little D ended up saving him instead. There's a founder on the warbird, you know, right. and that's getting shredded. Yeah. You can't control yeah. your... I, like, no matter how good of a space soldier you are, you can't control your shots well enough to guarantee the safety of the founder on that ship. Yeah, interesting stuff. It's what made it a little less satisfying that it's the little D to save them, and it, it's, and it is an Odo using his ability to manipulate to save his own life. Like, that would have been fun to do in front of Garrick. Yeah. That would have been a, a fun bit of showing him up. But uh, this is when the Defiant pops in. And uh, saves the day. It saves Garrick and Odo. The, we cut to the bridge, and Cisco is in like full tactical captain mode, like getting them out of this scrape and taking out the ticks that are pursuing them. Uh, I thought uh, a very self consciously TNG choice in this was that he uses the term engage once he's given his series of orders. Yeah. More and more. And more. So they make it to the wormhole and they make it to the other side to safety. And in the aftermath, Todman has a FaceTime call with Cisco, wherein Todman evokes the memory of Wolf 359 to Cisco. Yeah. Ugh, Todman. <laughs> Not a good look, man. Like, I'm, I was trying to think of an equivalent to this, but like, it's. It's basically like telling a a widow of 9/11 like boy that uh, that terrorist attack really made you think a lot about 9/11 huh <laughs> like if there's one person not to say that to it's Cisco right and a credit to what a good soldier Cisco is that he just kind of like lets that drop and and moves past it I like how they're kirking up Cisco a little bit even with the the punishment that was threatened to him like 
Tadman levels the threat of a punishment that is very Kirk-like here. It's either the court-martial or the promotion. Right. Kirk's the only guy that that works on. <laughs> totally. Yeah, and the button on the episode is uh, is at Garrick's shop. Garrick is, is picking up the pieces. Sifting through the ashes. Like a hurricane has blown through his shop. Just nothing but a pile of pin cushions and <laughs> forms, like dress forms. Yeah. Like one of the most directory moments in Star Trek history, I think, is picking up the rag off the floor and wiping the mirror clean. And <laughs> in in the revealed mirror under the soot is is Odo standing <laughs> in the exploded entryway to the store. Garrick wipes the mirror and then sees Odo as a different mirror behind him. We're changing back into Odo. <laughs> Just fucking with you, man. How many different dress forms do you think Garrick has in his shop, like to account for all the alien body types? Oh, wow. I never even like, thought so about that. Like so many, right? Or is there just like a really advanced dress form in the future? Because my uh, uh, former roommate was uh, in the costuming union in New York, and she's, you know, worked on a ton of television shows, and she has a dress form that's like adjustable, so you can make mm. like the bust and waist and... There's a bellows that you operate to to inflate it. There's literally like like, like gears inside of it and dials on the outside of it that you turn to make, to to change the shape of the dress form. So maybe Garrick has like a really high level spacey version of that that can be used for like up to three dozen species or something like that. I would like to see this. That'd be cool. In the scene, Odo thanks Garrick for leaving his uncomfortable confession out of the report of what happened. And they sort of bond over the discussion of whether or not to reopen the tailor shop. Uh, Did you like the episode, Adam? Yeah, I really did. I thought it was nice to have an episode where the stakes were this high. It was exhilarating to see Tane eat shit as hard as he did. Yeah. Like, wow. Talk about your all-time backfires. That was fun. It is a great character that they have done so much to make seem like a supervillain. Yeah. That when he falls this low, it the impact is very high, you know? If Lovak must survive, then I would assume that the ship that they're on would survive. And I would also assume that Tane survives this incident. I've Wonder what happens to him and if they bring him back. Well, Lovak beamed off, so uh, that ship is right. uh, that ship you know is right. is a target the second he's gone. I mean, I wonder if he is a valuable asset to to take hmm. if you're the Jem'Hadar, or if you just take him out. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, I, I really like the episode. I I mean, for the same reasons that I liked Improbable Cause, like Garrick centric giant war playset. The uh, switcheroo of thinking that you've accomplished your mission and then utterly not. Like that moment where they're bombarding the planet and then they, then the truth dawns on them that they haven't is really great. Yeah. And the founders do this all the time. You don't just lose against the founders. You lose embarrassingly. Yeah. It's always like you think you've victory is at hand and in fact you've lost way worse than you ever calculated was possible. I really like that about them. What about yeah. you, Ben? Uh, I liked the episode, too. I, I was surprised and fascinated to hear that this was 
kind of a two-parter that happened retroactively. Mm-hmm. I can't quite imagine how it came together so well, given that fact, because I feel like the writing is really good. There's a lot of fun plants that were set up in the last episode that were paid off in this episode in interesting and surprising ways. Um, I think the characters are all good and interesting and like well-motivated. I thought it was fascinating to see Eddington and Garrick do things that seemed irredeemable and then for various reasons need to be redeemed. Like there were expediencies at play that excused things that seemed inexcusable. Mm. And that's such a complicated idea. Like, I don't want to trust you, but I have to trust you now because there's nobody else. And, and, and bringing both of those characters back from that brink is, is interesting. And, and like Eddington is such a surprise. He wasn't even in the last episode and it's such a surprise to think like, Oh man, like he's still on the show. He's still a going concern. You know, we haven't seen him in 10 episodes. I feel like. You really don't get a character with divided allegiances very long in Star Trek and that he keeps returning or will eventually return is such a unique aspect to him. Because usually on Star Trek, a person with divided interests is either killed or or moved somewhere. Or just where they, disappeared where they can't like hurt Lieutenant anyone. Toast. Yeah. Like, right. Lieutenant Toast seemed like that and then they were just they like lost interest with him. Uh, one thing that never bores me, Ben, is the reading of a Priority One message or two. You want to see what we got? I would love to. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Ben, our first Priority One message is from Andy. It is for Jeremy, and the message goes like this. Remember 1994? <laughs> The 7th grade Halloween costume contest? I, in my Starfleet uniform, you, giving me the name Star Trek Girl, (laughs) that would stick for the rest of my public school career. Guess what? I saw your photo on Facebook with Peace Do and your poster signed by the TNG cast. (laughs) Fuck you. Whoa. I can't wait to introduce you to the pod and this secret future P1. Damn! Andy is Star Trek girl. Uh, This made me think of a story that I haven't told on the pod before, I don't think. And if I have, if you tell me I have, I'll edit it out. But uh, one of my earliest recalled Halloween costumes was that of a command red Star Trek The Next Generation uniform Mm -hmm. with the four pips. Yeah. My mom made it for me. I wore it to a costume party, and uh, I kept my jacket on, Ben. I kept it on. So you were just in black pants and a jacket? I couldn't deal with the shame. It was like, uh, it was middle school, like young middle school. So it was like seventh grade, the most awkward time in any person's life. Yeah. And it's uh, like, my mom worked very hard to make me that costume. And I was too ashamed of the social situation to share that with people I thought might be my friends. Wow. So I kept my jacket on, and it's something that I have always regretted. It makes me feel sad even thinking about it. Oh, man. But uh, Andy took off her jacket 
Andy wore it with pride. Andy uh, was her true self in public, and... Uh, That's hard to be. It's hard to be, and there are consequences to it, but eventually yeah. you get to... You get to get your comeuppance by uh, introducing secret future P1s to the people that made that a complicated time. Yeah, and I guess this is my comeuppance, this fucking show. <laughs> I really did take off my jacket for the last two years, didn't I? Your jacket is all the way off, dude. I took off my jacket, and for some reason my whole ass was underneath it. <laughs> That's not how bodies work. No. Adam, we have a second priority one message here. It's from Lori, a.k.a. Lore, pronounced Lore, comma, pantsuit Lori. And it is for Gary, a.k.a. Gare, pronounced Gare, a.k.a. Daytime Gary, a.k.a. Gary of the Day. <laughs> I, I love all the parentheticals. We need all this help. Yeah. Famously, the... Uh, the fields that you have to fill in when you do a jumbotron at maximumfun.org slash jumbotron now include the the uh, request names only please when when they ask like who this is for and who this is from because right. of the greatest generation and how much like <laughs> erroneous and extraneous information people are adding to those but well, it's uh, fun to be a pain in the ass this is just making it more spe specific which lore and which gear we're talking about. The message goes like this. In Toronto, for the con show, I thought, why not get a P1 message out to my bud? I went to rub salt in that wound of yours because I'm all alone because you ditched for your sister's wedding, parenthetically, whatever. <laughs> really, I'm not irked. I will just take a pic with Ben and Adam without you. Joking aside... I miss working with you, fella, and I hope we have many a drunk Shimoda nights together. Aww. Hey, that's a nice thought. That is a nice thought. Man, this... We're, so, we are now working through P1s that were sent before our Toronto show in 2018. Yeah. The day of this one is postmarked October 3rd. Yeah. So thanks for your patience if you've been, uh, if you get a P1 on the hopper. Yeah, and uh, congrats to your sister for her wedding, Gare. <laughs> and uh, it sounds like you got a real cool pal in lore. Yeah. Go do a drunk Shimoda night. <laughs> Pour one out for your friends Ben and Adam, who wish they could be there but can't. I'm glad we read that P1 on a Corks Bar episode, Ben. I'm, uh, I'm so slurry. I can't believe I got through it. But uh, if you would like me to slur my way through a P1, you can try your luck by going to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. It's 100 bucks for a personal message and 200 for a commercial message. And uh, we use that money to keep the lights on around this a here podcast. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Drunk Shimoda! Yeah, it was hard for me to choose anyone else but Eddington for actually doing a Shimoda <laughs> to the little D. <laughs> Isolinear chips were not involved in the sabotage of the cloaking device. But, I mean, what he did was he Shimoda the cloaking device. Let's be yeah, honest. Yeah, he kind of did. And so for that reason, uh, I'm giving a very literal Shimoda to Eddington. What about you? Mm-hmm. When Garrick turns on the torture device, 
he does it entirely using his middle fingers. Like he, he goes double middles and starts punching buttons. And it's like, it's clear that like, there's like, there's a couple of Romulan guards in the room, but it's also Odo. And it's clear that he's just birding everyone up. This is something that I didn't notice until you brought it up. And this is, it's incredible how I missed it, how I missed this the first time. It's fucking amazing, right? Like it's blatant. It's so, it's intentionally doing double middles on everyone. Yeah. And it is hilarious. Like it's such a great Andrew Robinson choice. I fucking love it. All he does is make great choices. The show is in such good hands with him, really. He's fucking brilliant. That's one as a director, like if you're if you're sharp enough to notice it and you really want to see it through, you're like, cut, moving on. Yeah. You leave it behind as fast as possible. Yeah, like we're we're printing that one. And, and like we we uh we uh, just had the RoboCop episode of Friendly Fire <laughs> yeah. come out and you told a story on that about how Paul Verhoeven left the scene where they shoot Murphy to death as the last thing that they shot because they were going so over budget that he he knew he would have to go back to the studio for more money to do that scene the right way. And that's why that scene is like such a perfect scene. Yeah. Like Yeah, he took a scene hostage. You can kind of do the same thing where you if you get that take, the double middles take, and just leave it in, like you know that this, like you know that Paramount is not excited about the fact that they're putting an actor on primetime television, doing middle fingers all over the screen. Like that's something that normal TV shows have to tile out. Yeah, and uh, it's just subtle enough that it gets past it. It passes muster, and he gets to do it. But it's perfect. Boy, do I love a microdose gummy from Lumi Labs. I'm, uh, I'm running low, so I'm going to head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order. Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. And uh, I just love it because you can really predict what is going to happen and to what degree it is going to happen because these are very low-dose cannabis gummies that uh, give you an entry-level dose that help you feel just the right amount of good. And they've been super loyal as sponsors to Greatest Trek and Greatest Gen, so I hope you will give them a try. Get 30% off your first order plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code is SCARVES for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. You might have heard us talk about Squarespace before and you're thinking, what do I need a website for? I already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias. But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name, and not a giant social media company's name, with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is, you don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you with their award-winning 24 by 7 customer support. 
Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. The code is SCARVES. Think it. Dream it. Make it with Squarespace. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Ben, do we have a perfect episode coming up? I guess we won't know till we review it, but the next episode is season three, episode 22, Explorers. Cisco builds a new version of an ancient Bajoran space vessel in an effort to prove the truth behind an 800-year-old legend. This, is, uh, this sounds like one of those episodes where uh, a character has a hobby and the stakes are pretty low. I'm down for a low-stakes app, Adam. Yeah, you and me both. Uh, what do you say I roll a die and see if we're going to watch this episode in any particular way? I would be delighted for you to do that. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. Uh, we're currently on square 54. 54, of course, is a Quarks Bar episode. Two squares ahead is a looking at each other during, after which uh, there's miles and miles of open road. Yeah. Afterwards. So the only thing we need to worry about is that... Looking at each other during that very that that most expensive of squares on the board. All right, let's roll. Whoa, and I have rolled a six. Chula! Did I win? Hardly. It has taken us all the way to square sixty, and uh, we are just two squares away from a wormhole that would knock us down forty squares <laughs> down to a quarks bar if we were to hit it on a two next time but for now it is a basic episode of greatest gen wow one that you could upon starting tell me is a quarks bar episode for me but I, oh yeah i would recommend i don't want to tell you how to use that that coupon but i think it would be most fun if you just gave it to me uh in episode race that's uh that's kind of how i um, imagined i would use yeah. it yeah 
I'm not that evil. I'll I'll mm-hmm. I'll try and reconnoiter a little bit and make sure that I'm not ruining your life. <laughs> yeah, that would be helpful. But I'm not above ruining your life. It's a great position to be in, Ben. Yeah. Uh, well, I am looking forward to a regular episode. I got pretty rip and drunk on this one. Good effort. I could hardly tell. You, you know what I want to do with my with my kind of amorous drunkenness right now, Adam? Oh, no. Is thank a bunch of people. Oh, yeah. People that I really love. Love up upon them. People like the Friends of DeSoto who go to MaximumFun.org slash donate and contribute on a monthly basis to support the production of this program. As little as $5 a month makes a huge difference yeah. in uh, how we're able to do this. Truly. And I really love doing a show that is listener-supported because we have turned down lots of advertisers in our in our history because we didn't feel comfortable advertising their thing. And yeah. uh, that's because we know that we're not going to break the bank if we, you know, turn down money from, you know, people that we don't want to be in business with. We want to be in business with our listeners. And uh, and so if you uh, like that arrangement, uh, please support The Greatest Generation by going to MaximumFun.org slash donate. We've got some great viewers who support us in some pretty unique ways. We've got Dark Materia's original theme music as edited... By Adam Ragusia, who's been a longtime friend of the show. He edited that music into the music we use for the Deep Space Nine version of the show. But uh, he also works with us at our live shows and our special donor-only episodes that we have uh, for those who contribute at MaximumFun.org slash donate. Get some some swag. Go to the Max Fun Store. It's MaxFunStore.com. T-shirts, hooded sweatshirts, posters... All kinds of great stuff on there that you can get to support the greatest generation. My wife was actually upset with me that I didn't get her the hoodie. The hood hoodie. What? And I, and I was like, you hate this show. <laughs> you hate that I do it. Yeah. What kind of message does that send? Maybe she secretly doesn't hate it? I don't know. It was confusing. Yeah. Anyway, we got the hood hoodie there, too. Check that out. Get the hood hoodie. Uh, We've seen that show up in a couple of uh, live show lines. Looks looks very soft and comfortable. It's a nice hoodie. It's a it's a high quality piece of uh, apparel. Ben, the only reason to be on Twitter anymore is Bill Tilly's trading cards. You can find those at at Bill Tilly 1973. He makes uh, he makes great and funny trading cards based on every show that we produce. Oh, uh, other guys, JJ Lendl, who makes great. Uh, like movie poster style posters of each episode of DS9 every single week. I would say that those are the two accounts that you should follow on Twitter. If you want to follow one more, you should follow at Cut for Time. Mm. You definitely shouldn't follow at Benjamin R because I mostly just like retweet the ACLU because <laughs> I'm so angry about politics all the time. Super fun feed over there at Benjamin AHR. <laughs> But uh, Adam is actually keeping it fun and funny. (laughs) And uh, you should follow him. You should also head over to MaximumFun.org and check out all the other shows on the network. There's so many great shows. Uh, We just did a donor bonus episode with our friends at the Flophouse, which is, uh, boy, that is one of my favorite podcasts. It uh, it comes out every two weeks. They just uh, review a bad movie. And Those guys are the kind of smart, fast, funny that I aspire to be. Yeah, 
I wish we were as good as them. <laughs> yeah. That, sh- that show's great. There's so many other great shows on the network. I, uh, I really encourage you to uh, to sample all of them. Oh, Ben, I think that's it. I think we've done what we came here to do, right? <laughs> and with that, we'll be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine and an episode of The Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine that is mostly just uh, interested in working on their hobbies. Mm. Cool. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.